Every morning at 8.30 at Penrose Hospital, the chaplains, the volunteers, the Eucharistic ministers who will serve communion to the Catholic patients in the hospital, uh, the students, if there are students, every 8.30, every uh, weekday morning, Monday through Friday, the chaplains gather around a table in our office without fail. Somebody will pick up a little booklet. There will be a date, July 22nd, and there will be a scripture from the Bible. And inevitably, whoever writes these things, they have a they have different writers, but there's a pattern. So there will be a paragraph about a real-life situation. I dropped my kids off at school and saw something amazing. And then there will be relating that real-life situation to the Bible verse, a paragraph about that. And then the last paragraph, it'll draw the conclusion. Just clockwork. Just every single time. And it's, 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 it's a talent, it's a gift that these writers have. But somebody will read that, and afterwards there will be some silence, and then the chaplains will pray. They'll pray for guidance, they'll pray for uh, any traumas or, or emergencies that they've been a part of that morning. Um, they'll pay, pray for patients, nurses, doctors, administration. They'll pray for their special days. Maybe it's their nephew's birthday or an anniversary or something. Whether we're in a good mood or a bad mood, whether we feel God's presence in our life or not, whether we've been struck by something that makes us very sad or whether we're light as a spring morning, no matter what, At 8.30, we're going to be in that place praying. I used to think that devotion, our theme for today is devotion. I used to think it was like these big, huge um, quests, journeys. You know, um, doing something that you know you're never going to really accomplish, but doing it anyway. And that's certainly part of it. There is a part of that that is devotion. You know, something like, did did anybody ever watch the wild parrots of Telegraph Hill? Yes, yes. We could spend the rest of the day, right, talking. Like, we could be here until 4 o'clock talking about that movie. I love that movie so much. If you haven't seen it, you should Netflix it or whatever. Um... You can't blockbuster it anymore. That's, those days are gone, right? But you can find it somewhere, I'm sure, on the internet. And it was like this hippie. He moves to San Francisco. He's going to be the next Jerry Garcia, you know, the guy from The Grateful Dead. He's going to be the next big San Francisco rock star. And he gets there, and the rock star thing doesn't work out. But somehow he moves to Telegraph Hill, um, And he moves into this apartment, and there are all these wild parrots. They don't know where they came from. They don't know their backstory. But there's like, I don't know, how many dozen 
14, 16, I don't know how many, a bunch of parrots, right, that are wild. And it becomes his devotional practice, it becomes his life work to take care of those parrots. So he knows when they're hooking up and when they're like, one is on the outs. He knows like their whole stories and what they're up to. And he befriends these wild parrots. And if they get sick, he takes care of them. So much so that everybody, you know, all the tourists who come into Telegraph Hill in San Francisco think that he must be like a city employee. Like it's his job to take care of these parrots. But he's just doing it out of love and an odd outlook on life. God works through the strange ones, my church history professor used to tell me in seminary. And I believe it. Or the other thing I think about when I think about devotion is these two guys who lived in Brooklyn. And um, they were like, it was a fall day. They were in Brooklyn in their apartment. They were roommates or whatever. And um, the football game was boring, you know. They weren't into the football game. And they were bored. And they looked out their window and they saw this plastic bag hanging from a tree. Have you ever seen that? Sometimes this happens. And it became their mission. It became their devotion to go and liberate all the plastic bags in Brooklyn from those trees that they get stuck in. That's a big, that's a big, that's a big burrow. That's a lot of plastic bags. Liberate the trees from the plastic bags or vice versa. And that's what they decided to do. And this guy, you know, they never quite accomplished that. But they spent a lot of good times together working on that. I used to think that was devotion. I used to think that was devotion. You set some big, huge, lofty goal. You've set some big, huge, lofty ideal, like the Sermon on the Mount. I will come to a place where I am attaining that kind of life. I've come to see, though, in my own life, maybe it's growing older, maybe it's maturing, I don't know what it is, but I'm much more interested in devotion as that 8.30 in the morning practice. If I've been called on a Monday night, called into the hospital for something traumatic, that Tuesday morning, 8.30 gathering of chaplains, whether I want to do it or not, is an act of devotion. It's an act of devotion. It's the small things in life where we see things in a new perspective because we show up just as we are. We make the commitment to show up just as we are. It's the small things. That's what I like about devotion. So I grew up in Galesburg, Illinois. I think some of you know that. The smallest town in the history of the world. And I know, I know, like Connie's from like South Dakota or something, right? South Dakota? North Dakota. She's going to argue with me afterwards. No, my town was smaller. But trust me, my town of 35,000 people was the smallest town in the history of the world. And so 
we would, when I was growing up in Galesburg, Illinois, my mom, my dad, my two older sisters and I, we would pile into the station wagon and we would drive from Galesburg, Illinois to China Grove, North Carolina, the second smallest town in the history of the world. And that's where my grandma lived, my grandma Hazel Butts. She probably weighed 85 pounds. She was small but fierce. She raised most of my aunts and uncles on her own. My grandfather died before I ever knew him. The story is that they they came from Arkansas. I have no idea how they got to Arkansas. But apparently they fell in love in Arkansas. And there was some hill, some mountain, you know. And... It's 1927, they've got some kind of car. I don't know how they got their hands on a car either, but they have like some car. And the story is, and none of this is true, but the story is <laughs> that um, they get in the car. My, my dad is just born, and there's a bunch of his older brothers. And um, the girls haven't even been born yet. They had eight kids. The two youngest were, um, were girls. And... Um, They go down the mountain, and they get to an intersection. If they go that way, they're going to end up in Arizona. If they go that way, they're going to end up in North Carolina. And I'm I'm telling you, they sat there for a long time, according to the story. They sat there for a long time, pondered, thought about it. And then Hazel said to Vernon... My grandfather, I've heard the moon shines different in North Carolina. So they turned toward North Carolina. They ended up in China Grove. My, my grandfather built this tiny little house for this enormous family. And I'm telling you, we would go there every summer. We would go there many Christmases. And I'm telling you that house was like smaller than this sanctuary, smaller than this chapel, felt like to me. And, um, and she raised those kids there. Somehow, some way, she was poor. She had chickens in the backyard and um, she had a garden. And somehow she raised those those kids. My grandfather always told the boys and, you know, the, the, the kids, you got to get an education. And my grandma told the kids, you got to get religion. So many of my uncles were teachers and some of them were ministers. Uh, and that was how that worked. In the summer, I would go and I would spend time with my grandmother, Hazel. Her devotion were her plants and her yard. She would lovingly water those plants. And then she'd say, Roger, I'm going to go water the birds. And she'd go out to the bird bath and she'd lovingly pour in that water. It was an act of devotion. And raising those kids against all odds was an act of devotion. 
And when I would go back for Christmas, you could see it. All the families would come back. My uncle was a professor up in Boone. My aunt and my uncle were ministers in Winston-Salem. I had an uncle, Bobby. That was his real name. It wasn't Robert. No, 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 that's too fancy. It was Bobby. Um, He was a principal on Ocracoke Island. He'd come back. And all these family and all their kids would come together. You know in mafia movies... When somebody gets married in the mafia movies, they sit down and everybody comes and they kiss their ring and they congratulate them and they give them a little tribute, $100 in an envelope, $500 in an envelope. I don't know. It depends on how well the mafia is doing, I suppose. But (laughs) that's what it was like with my grandmother. My aunts and uncles were devoted to her because somehow... She raised them into real live adults who were successful. Against all odds, her love poured forth. And when our family came back for Christmas, people would bring barbecue, people would bring ham, people would bring pies. My grandmother Hazel would just be the center of that. And all the aunts and uncles would come and pay tribute to her. They were devoted to her. It's the small things. It's the small things. I want you to think about devotion in the small ways. When my wife, Marta, who's a minister too, um, when every day she takes my two-year-old Gracie, the black lab, and takes her to Bear Creek Park, and walks her around Bear Creek Park. Two loops, right? That is my wife's deepest prayer. That is her deepest devotion. That 8.30 meeting, where you just show up, and you say, this is who I am, this is where I am. Could be a bad day, could be a good day, doesn't much matter. Those are the things that I have become incredibly interested in. Incredibly interested in. With every breath, I plant the seeds of devotion, Rumi said. I am a farmer of the heart. I am the carpenter of my soul. When we come to those small places and we see in everything we encounter an act of devotion, then we are invited. We are invited to see every moment as sacred. Neither detached from nor indifferent to our joys and our sorrows but deep in it, relational vulnerability. Relational vulnerability. That song that Connie sang earlier, I am a mournful pilgrim, 
bound for Canaan land. The reason I wanted that song, even though that's not probably the kind of song that we sing here very often, um, it's a little odd and maybe a smidge dark, <laughs> is because what did that, what did that mournful pilgrim? Well, hey, hey, when when we hear the blues, when we hear the blues, we know we're not alone, right? We know we're not alone. Every once in a while we get the blues. And when we're a sorrowful, mourning pilgrim bound for Canaan land, that pilgrim keeps walking. Keeps walking. We're not alone. But what happens is that we become attached when we get right into the muck of it to God's dreams and God's designs And we see these moments as self-transcendent. And we are invited in these moments to a posture of radical amazement. Wonder and awe. Wonder and awe. May your life be full of devotion, friends. Amen.